Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through their legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trauma Trial Transformation from Los Angeles, California. Today is part two of my conversation with Jan Canty, where she continues to discuss her long mental and emotional recovery after her husband's murder, which includes moving to another community, earning her PhD, becoming a triathlete, and eventually starting her own podcast, The Domino Effect of Murder where she features interviews with other people who have survived a family member's murder. Welcome, Jan. Now, the one thing you have to keep in mind in an open case where, there, where the person has not been caught is you don't want to get the media on the wrong side because they won't help you later. Right. So if it's an open homicide case, you kind of have to play nice a little bit. Yeah, sounds like that. Uh, that's kind of... Celebrities have to do the same. Legal has mm-hmm. to do the same. You have to, the media really has a lot of control there. So, well, let's talk a little bit about your, your transformation. I mean, obviously, a very intense, traumatic time in your life. But I, I read this little small intro to your book that said, um, the press had questions. Hill needed me to get at the morgue. In those disturbing moments, I only learned truth about the, my unfaithful husband, but I learned truths about life. What kind of truth did you learn about life at that time? I learned harsh truths. I learned things like your friends won't stand by you. Hmm. There'll be a gush of support in the beginning, but it wears away and people begin to feel kind of that they don't want to be associated with it. It's kind of an uh, icky thing. And that's a common experience for homicide survivors. In the beginning, I thought it was just my experience, but it's not. There's mm-hmm. often a turnover of friends. I didn't expect that because mm-hmm. I had lifelong friends, but that's one ugly truth you realize. Mm-hmm. Another one is that you're powerless in the court system, that mm-hmm. they're going to do what they're going to do. They have tradition on their side and all the power they want, mm-hmm. and it may not at all coincide with your wishes. And that's just the way it is. That's not law and order. They're not there for you. They're there for the criminal justice system. And if you Mm -hmm. need support, and if you need uh, people to understand, get it elsewhere, because it's not going to happen there. Mm -hmm. I've learned that there's companies out there really willing and able to exploit homicide survivors like biorecovery uh, industry, the true crime, uh, the Mm -hmm. um, crime scene cleanup people. They will, not all of them, but some of them will come in and uh, photograph and videotape before and after cleaning and then publish it on social media mm-hmm. and exploit you that way. Uh, and funeral yeah. directors are another group. So you have you have to have another set of eyes and ears out there when it comes to dealing with in- different industries related to the homicide. Mm-hmm. 
I also learned the harsh truth that not everybody has a Detective Landeros like me. She was absolutely phenomenal. But not everybody gets treated the way I got treated. And in fact, the sad truth is that I've met people that were wrongly convicted of the homicide of their loved one. Well, mm-hmm. how in the world are you going to grieve the homicide of your loved one if you're the one that they wrongly convict for right. and end up right. behind bars? Mm-hmm. And those are not things I knew beforehand. I Another ugly truth came along. Uh, he I discovered he'd been unfaithful with a prostitute. And this was at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And they had just come out with the Alicia test like two weeks before I needed it. And my doctor told me, I'll give it to you, but it, it's brand new. There are imperfections. And and the best way to know is to have it repeated every year for seven years to know you're in the clear. And I was standing in there. with It was much like COVID and the, how they approached me with the double gloves mm-hmm. and the face mask and all that. Because it was a death yeah, uh, sentence if was. you added it back then. Yes, it was. And I remember thinking, if... If prostitution is a victimless crime, why am I here? How did I get here? Right. How did you get here? So that was another dimension. There was just so many harsh realities that came out of the woodwork that I didn't expect. Well, and things we don't have to think about in our life, right? I mean, things that we don't ever have to head head on or, like you said, even comprehend because it's not something in our day-to-day reality. It's, you know, but... You know, I, I know that you uh, you kind of went away and changed yourself for like 30 years and, you know, um, you know, like you said, healing and insight don't happen overnight. So within that 30-year period, I know you kind of like went away from the world and kind of incognito, I guess I want to say, you, you call it redacted your life. What, did that help you? Immensely, but it took a long time. I borrowed a model that I still believe has a lot of credibility to it that I learned about as a psychologist, and it's called the biopsychosocial model. And basically what it says is if you really want to have a durable change in your life for whatever it might be, you have to look and make changes biologically, sociologically, and psychologically. So Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? So I moved. That was one social way of dealing with it. I just got out of there, and I, I, I went back in time. I moved into this small little town in the Midwest where people didn't even lock their houses and their cars, and they took offense if you did, which was like, I didn't even know places like that existed. They were extremely kind to me, and it, it allowed me to start grieving because I didn't have to be hypervigilant every second. And the media mm-hmm. wasn't there. The police weren't there. And then I decided... I wanted to teach graduate school, and when I did, I, it afforded me an opportunity to travel internationally. So I deliberately chose places that were way off the beaten path because I wanted to experience life. I wanted to see how other people live. How do they cope? And I met people with way worse situations than mine. I never, mm-hmm. I will never forget them. People mm-hmm. didn't even have the basic necessities like clean water, mm-hmm. a place yep. to sleep, clean mm-hmm. food, women's rights. Mm-hmm. I, I could go on. So I came back feeling grateful and feeling like I took I took for granted my education, a roof over my head, clean water, transportation, uh, rights as a woman. I can divorce if I want. I can marry if I want. I can have children if I want. I could cross the street without a man on my arm. I mean, there were so many things that I had taken for granted and mm-hmm. people that had endured way worse than me that would never, ever get support of any kind. It was not going to happen. And I felt almost ashamed that I had felt that way, that 
how could I have not noticed these things? How could I have taken these things for granted? I, it's just not right. Mm-hmm. I've never forgotten it. It's, so that was one thing I did is the social piece. I moved and I traveled to five different continents and always way off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. To the point where I didn't even have electricity in some of the places. Uh, I remember the, when I was in India, I had uh, monkeys in my room and stinging caterpillars <laughs> in my bed. And when I was in Kenya, we had a warthog circling the tent at night, and and I found army ants in my tent. I mean, it's just things you have uh, to yeah, put up with. Yeah, that'll take it. you. That'll take you right out of anything, right? That'll take right. You right out of and then years passed, and physically, I thought, okay, the physical piece I got to do because I had not been taking care of myself. But I've been sleeping better, at least. And so I joined a gym. When I got to the gym, I joined a women, a group of women my age. We met four mornings a week at 6.30, like religion. I mean, if you weren't there, they'd demand an explanation. <laughs> and after four years of that, we decided to start to do triathlons, and we did. Oh, wow. And we always pledged each other that we wouldn't compete. We'd finish at the same time and cross wow. the finish line together and support one another. Wow. And we did. And it was exuberating to feel so physically healthy and mm-hmm. strong and with other people who believed in this. I mean, we weren't going to break any records. We knew that. Right. <laughs> but my goal was not to drown and uh, to be able to cross the finish line. And I loved it. I ended up doing five in one year. Wow. And then the emotional piece came a lot later. And that was I had a relative who was in the crime scene cleanup business. She's one of the ethical ones out there diligent decon. And she said, why don't you do a podcast? And I'm like, I don't know anything about podcast. I don't even listen to podcast. But she (laughs) kept on it. And I started listening to them. And I thought, well, I hadn't run across one that was what I envisioned, which was a podcast for and about other homicide survivors. And I had the good fortune of meeting the podcast host for Pretend Radio. And he encouraged me a lot. And I met others I found out that podcasters, by in general, are a very generous group, yeah, and they're very willing to help, and they're very Mm -hmm. patient, and they they got me kind of up and running. And then when I started meeting my guests, oh, my world opened. I felt like I'd found my tribe. These were people Mm -hmm. that could finish my sentences for me. They were uh, inspiring. They were sincere. They were funny when it was appropriate, and all. Everything you'd want in in a survivor that you would want on your show, I found them. I was very fortunate to find so many like that. And Mm -hmm. that was the missing piece for me was that connection that Mm -hmm. I had not known. I didn't know I didn't have it. I didn't realize it was missing until I got it. And when I did, I'm like, I wish I'd done this 20 years ago, but Mm -hmm. at least I'm doing it now. And I just met some phenomenal people that were inspiring. And one night I decided to listen to, this was after the, first season, I think it was, I sat down and listened to all my episodes back to back and I was listening for common denominators. And what I came away with was that every homicide was very different, but the aftermath was not. Mm. Wow. So that's very insightful because I think that's probably common in a lot of things. You know, we all have thumbprints, but yet we have so many things that we're connected with that actually connect us. I mean, I know I've gone through that with my own, you know, personal childhood trauma and you do find somebody and all of a sudden you're like, okay, and this is something I educate and train lawyers on is 
that's persuasion. When you can connect and you can relate, you're very easily persuaded because you can feel the same thing. And when you can connect like that, it's such a different level. Right. Um, Right. That's why persuasion to me is that directed action of who else in the room is feeling what I'm feeling and how I can connect to it. So it's, but you know, I, I, uh, the other thing I you use a term that I really like as well is called post-traumatic growth. That is such a positive yeah. term. Is that yes. came from you or that was really great? No, I wish Tedeschi <laughs> was the one who originated that term, and he basically started doing research on that. I think fifteen years ago to show that trauma, yes, it's difficult and it can produce post-traumatic stress, but it can also po- hold the potential to deepen your awareness to mm-hmm. deepen your connections and insights mm-hmm. and improve your resilience and self-confidence. And I believe in that. I, I think we don't talk enough about that. I don't even mm-hmm. like the term PTSD anymore. I read another book called A Relentless Courage, and he talks about it as being post-traumatic injury. And mm-hmm. I like that concept because mm-hmm. it reinforces the idea it's outside of us. It's not right. like a personality flaw. But there's an right. identifiable set of stressors out there that were beyond your coping ability and overwhelmed you. And if you can fight back, you'll get back more or less to baseline, somewhat different, but mm-hmm. you'll never be identically like you were. But you can certainly, it's not ruinous that you have PTSD or right. had a trauma in your life. Right. And if you can find a purpose in it, that's my big thing is that Mm -hmm. if you can pivot it, if you can take all the energy that it requires to battle it and pivot it to something positive. And I I made that conscious decision early on after I'd lost my house, my husband, my finances, my friends, my health, my privacy, my business. I thought, that's it. They're not going to get anything else from me out of this. Mm -hmm. That I pledged to myself, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I pledge to myself that I'm going to make something good of this, come out of this. I'm not going to waste this. This is too much learning going on and too much energy and too much reality to let it slide Mm -hmm. by me. I'm not going to sink. I won't. I'm going to fight back and I'm going to pivot it to something positive. Even though I had no shape in my mind for what that would look like, I just drew the line at that point. And I said, from here on out, it's about recovery and getting my control of my life back. And that's when I started making decisions like moving away, changing my name, changing my jobs, working internationally. That's how I volunteered to pay for the mm-hmm. international trip. And I found that if you trust your gut, a lot of the times you're you're right on in terms of the what you need. Mm-hmm. And the pieces did fall into place, but it took a long, lot longer than I would have hoped. And don't you think your um, your intuition? I mean, at least for myself and other people I've talked to have gone through trauma their intuition seems to have been awakened in a way that you're, like you said, you're deeper, but your intuition, you're listening to yourself differently. You're hearing what your gut is talking to by what your heart's saying. And you're able to like get to that point. And that's where I want to look at, you know, I want to talk with people that have to go through the legal system because it can be so traumatic, but it's also changing who you are in in a positive way. It can be a very positive experience. Um, even though it may seem very stressful. So I, I love that you're talking about that, but to, you're a walking, talking example of that. I mean, if, if I <laughs> the first I met. Well, I think what happens during the, during the traumatic situation is your defenses are pulled down mm-hmm. and your focus is sharpened. You're not thinking mm-hmm. about what you're going to make for dinner. 
or, or who you're going to meet next week. Your focus is on the next 10 minutes, the next mm-hmm. hour, the next 24 hours. You're, you're hyper-focused and without defenses, you're raw. And I think because you're raw, you allow more information in and you're processing it at a whole different level than you were if you were in your normal everyday life. Yeah, because you're, you're stripped of who you are, and you mm-hmm. have to you have to fall back on your uh, not only your intuition, but like what kind of resources do you have, mm-hmm. and uh, what what kind of decisions have you made that have worked out so far, and can you count on them or people mm-hmm. in your life? And mm-hmm. you have to have your wits about you, and that's why I think connection is so important. If you can mm-hmm. surround yourself with with people that are are successful in in what it is you're trying to accomplish, I think you're going to improve the chance of you following in their footsteps because they're a role model, like it or not. Their successes become a part of your toolkit and give you an opportunity to to see what's in front of you. I don't recommend you take advice from people who've never been through what you've been through. Right, right, right. That's always a tough thing because then you got somebody who's telling you something they really don't have any clue to what no. it's like. And that's why there's, you know, I look at my parents losing a child and, you know, how can you relate to other parents that haven't and how do parents relate to you? And and it's it's just a, then you're in a lonely world and then trying to find those connections to, you know, find some similarities in, in life. But, you know, I like to, um, I like to, as we wind down here a little bit, I like to ask most of my guests, uh, this question is healing a choice. <laughs> well, that's a tough one. Um, I think for some people it is. I, I have met people who choose not to not to heal, but mm-hmm. instead preen their symptoms and make their countenance victimhood mm-hmm. and spend their life comparing, oh, my misery is worse than your misery, and they get mm-hmm. stuck. And for example, a lot of those people end up hoarding. Mm. They're living in a mess to discourage people and to they're they're so um dysfunctional at that point. They're stuck and they can't throw anything out. They can't mm-hmm. they can't allow new information in. So for those individuals um that I I guess you could say they made the choice not to succeed and it's really tragic. Because mm-hmm. that that's that doesn't have a very happy ending, right. but I think for the majority of people, they definitely want to improve, but they don't know how to. Mm-hmm. They 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 have the desire, but not the building blocks. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a very easy answer to that because when it comes to homicide survivors, at least, because the resources are so scattered, mm-hmm. and because homicide survivors as a group tend to hide. We don't like mm-hmm. the stigma. We don't like the spotlight. We don't advocate well for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we're not out there saying we demand this and we want to parade in our honor. We want laws to favor us. We don't demand things. Mm-hmm. We hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really difficult to find other people to connect with. But once you do, I think it's incredibly powerful. Wow. And it, it, once you do, it's like, well, there is no other choice at that point. Of course, you're going to move on. Right. And and I think you also frequently have the obligation to do it with others. You you pay it forward. Yeah, well that's that's a really good point too. When it, that's the reason for my podcast is wanting to pay it forward. My healing journey, I want to pass it on, finally be honest with my, you know, my ups and downs and, and, and pay it forward to those who may not even know what they're going through. But you know, um 
so so where where can people find you, Jan? I try to keep it simple, so everything's on my website. I have okay. uh, it's it's all lowercase. It's www.jancantyphd.com. They could find the books on there, the podcast, um, my other podcast appearances, and so forth. And in the back, and I do have on my website there is a list of resources there for homicide survivors. Excellent, and I. Uh, Apologize for not even uh, listing that you were a PhD on the front end. I knew that, but uh, oh, I was so engulfed okay. with your books. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just, uh, I really, really want to thank you. I, I know we'll be in touch. We're both on the Mental Health uh, Radio News Network as well. And I'm just thrilled that I've met you from there. And uh, I you. really know that we'll be connected and, uh, and be talking more soon. So uh, thank you so much for being here today. And if I could close with my favorite quote, it's yeah. from Helen Keller. And she says, although the world is full of suffering, it is also filled with the overcoming of it. And I'm going to leave it at that. So thank you very much, everybody, today. And again, Jan, I am so heartfeltly grateful. So thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find your books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts. The content, opinions, and information shared by the hosts and guests on this podcast are not to be considered professional legal advice or therapeutic counseling. If you need assistance, consult with a licensed attorney or therapist if you are appearing as a witness, experiencing emotional trauma, or are involved in any sensitive legal matters. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you.